and the passing of the buck. Everyone's a victim. We blame our parents. We blame the government. We blame our ex. We blame the devil. Some of you remember comedian Flip Wilson had a little skit thing going on in the 60s where he said, the devil made me do it. James doesn't even mention the devil here. He does it in a later chapter, so he knows that the devil does tempt us. But here, he wants us to own our own choices. You're responsible for the choices you make. Don't sin and then blame God or blame everybody else. Repent and receive forgiveness. Third thing, be prepared. Verse 16, James says, don't be deceived. When temptation comes, be ready. Listen to what three other Bible writers have to say about this. First Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus in Matthew 26 said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing to and Paul in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan is tricky. He, he knows our weak spots. He catches us off guard. And it's the little things that often trip us up. So, how do I prepare? I need to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 2, 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Okay, so we know that it's Satan that's going to tempt us. It's going to happen to you. So what is the process that he uses? He's been using it since the Garden of Eden. There, James outlines a steps of what temptation is. What to be aware of and alert for. The first thing is He stirs our desires. Each person is lured and enticed by his own desire. Satan will use your desires against you. Desires aren't always evil in and of themselves, but we have a desire for food. We need to eat to live. We don't need to live to eat. Sex is good and created by God within the confines of marriage between a husband and a wife. But Satan takes it outside those God-given parameters and therefore twisted and perverse it. tempts people. Significance. God has created you to achieve great things. But people make that the number one driving force of their life. He causes our desires to be out of control. Routine desires become runaway desires. We become obsessed with desires. We give in just to find relief. It's like a steel to magnet. There's the inward desire, and then the outward circumstances and temptation is the pull. In our members, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret, smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it's sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. Joy in God 
is in course of being extinguished in us, and we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. The second step of temptation is deception. It says, we're lured and enticed. And those are fishing terms. So I, I like fishing. Anybody else like to go fishing? Okay, there's a few of you back So I like to fish for bass. And so this is one of my real rods with a, with a plastic worm attached to it. That's the one I like to fish with the most when I'm fishing for bass. So you can see, if you cast it out and you jiggle it a little bit, look at it dance. See that? It really moves. It's got great action. So it's going through the water, and you just twitch the end of your rod a little bit like that, and that thing is moving, whether it's on top of the water or just under the water a little bit. It's moving around, so the bass sees that. And I don't know if a bass has a steady kind of worms or not. I kind of doubt it. I don't know if it looks like a wounded fish to him, but it seems like it's irresistible. And so he's enticed by that. He's lured by the lure. That's why it's aptly called a lure. And so he swims over to that and he grabs a hold of it. He puts it in his mouth, just kind of sucks it in. He has to suck it in. And it's so soft. It feels so real. And then what I can do is I just wait for that tug. Now you got to wait a little bit. You can pull it right out of his mouth. Just wait a little bit so he, you know he's got it. You feel that tug on the end of your pole, and then you set the hook. And the hook goes right through this soft plastic very easily. And I can tell you by just touching this hook, those Japanese hooks are really, uh, really hurt if you get one through your hand, which I have before. I had to, had to go to the emergency room and get the treble hook out of my hand. So that goes into his jaw. And he realizes, uh oh, I'm caught. And he puts up a fight, and he's struggling there to get away, but you've got the, uh, you, you've got the advantage. You just reel him in, and you get him in the boat. And here comes dinner. So, what bait does the devil use on you? What's your weakness? Too much food? Too much alcohol? Sex outside of marriage? Shopping? your tongue, envy. Now Satan isn't all known, but he has had thousands of years of experience tempting humans. He watches us. He knows our weaknesses. He hides the hook real well. We're lured and enticed by something. We grab a hold of it. It feels so soft and real. This is good. We nibble a little bit, and then all of a sudden, we're hooked. And a hook goes through our jaw, and we're getting reeled in. <laughs> It isn't long before Satan has us, and you become different. He wants to destroy your soul in On another occasion, I was fishing with a plastic worm like that, and I cast it out. And I hooked it the bass. It was a nice one, fairly nice, not too huge. And I reel it him in, and he breaks my line. And he did not break my line because he was so enormous. He wasn't that big. I must have had a frayed line, you know, just a weak spot in my line that just a little bit of pressure from him and it broke. So I reeled the rest of my line in and hooked up another worm, kept it up there. 
And in a few minutes, I caught up with the So I'm, I'm bringing him in, I get him to shore, and I'm going to take my hook out of his mouth and put it back. And I notice there's already another worm in his mouth. That fish, that was a fish I caught previously that broke my line, and I thought, this dumb fish <laughs> just fell for the same worm again. He is not too bright. I think, isn't that true of some of us? You know, the same thing, the same temptation, week after week, year after year, we keep going for the same thing. Jesus warned his disciples that in the last days, there would be a lot of deception. It would be very strong as he describes what's going to happen in the last days, signs of the end. And you know, if you read Matthew chapter 24, signs of the end times, there, there is one sign that he mentions, the most frequent there of all the things that are going to be happening at the end of the age. It occurs four times in Matthew 24. I'm talking about deception. It's going to be especially powerful at the end of the age. Strong delusion, so they get believe a lie. Second Thessalonians two twelve says, and we see that in our culture how we have witnessed during this pandemic of the past two years the outright lies, deception, the media, the, the, the misstatements. Be alert, folks. If you're not strong in the Word and know the Word of God. Going to be bad. Disobedience is the, is the third or the C line of filter. Disobedience is part of the temptation scheme of the enemy. Desire has conceived to give birth to sin. Sin always is hatched in the mind. It goes from the desire stage, where desires are ignited, to our minds, to our thoughts. So Satan perverts a desire and then puts a tempting thought in our head. We think about it. We begin to plan how I can carry this out, this sinful action. Then we decide to act and we carry out the sin. There is no harmless fantasy. What you're willing to flirt with, you will fall for. And that's why ads are so powerful. And advertisers know this. They make the ads so enticing. Look at all those people running around, you know, drinking this product, using this. You'll be beautiful. You'll be happy. You'll be smart, just like all of them. All you have to do is buy our product. And you're going to think about it. Yeah, that's really what I need. I, I need that. I must have that. I've got to go get it. You buy it. And fourthly, it is in death. Sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. Spiritually and physically. Death is always the consequence of sin. Death is the opposite of life. It seems like when you're sinning, you're really living. But you're really dying. In, uh, somewhere in uh, Hebrews, it says, Hebrews 11.25, oh, here it is. Moses says, Choosing rather to be mistreated for the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You're free to choose, but not free to the consequences. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. You've got to earn death. <coughs> For the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me illustrate it this way. You're stranded out of the ocean on a little boat. You're getting thirsty. You're thirsty. Your water's run out. 
But you look and you say, wow, I'm surrounded by water. All the water I could ever want is right here just for me to get my hand in and drink it. But you know that you can't do that. Why? Because ocean water contains seven times more salt in it than the body can absorb. So if you drink a bunch of ocean water because you're so thirsty, what happens is your kidneys then has to flush all that salt out of your body, and to do that, it has to take the water from inside your body to help flush out that salt that you've now put in your body. And you die of thirst, ironically. And that's what sin does to you. Temptation makes you thirsty. You take a drink, you drink up, and it kills you. Satan attracts you to distract you, to attack you, to subtract you. It is indeed. So let's look at a case study in the Bible. Adam and Eve. Perfect example of how Satan uses this exact steps that James is mentioning here to deceive and to cause sin to human beings. Adam and Eve. Let's read from Genesis 2, a couple of verses, and then right into chapter 3. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was living. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed big leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God made it very clear in 2, 16 and 17. Disobey this, and you die. And then the tempter appeared, saying, did God really say? He, he wants you to question God. He wants you to question God's word. Make you doubt. Remember last week James talked about doubt as a double-minded person? Is it really true what God said? Maybe God didn't really say that. Maybe God doesn't mean what he says. God wants you to obey his word. Satan wants you to question it. Doubt it. Disobey it. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden, say that. Any tree? God said only one tree. Satan wants to make God mean and unreasonable. God doesn't care about you or your needs. Look at all that he's denying you. Just one tree. Out of all the trees in the garden. 
So Eve corrects the serpent, and I think she probably feels good about that. But he's setting her up. She was corrected when she said that to him, but did you notice where she said, and we shall not even touch it? Did God say that? No, he didn't say that in the original mandate at all. So she's adding to what God said incorrectly, so ignorance of the word can be quite deadly to you. You must know the word. You've got to be in the word, knowing what God says. Satan wants to make God strict. You can't even touch it. And then in verse 4, what he says is an outright, flat-out, blatant lie. It contradicts 2.17, exactly. Either God is telling the truth, or Satan is. And we know from John 8.44 that Satan is a liar, the father of lies. Imagine Satan's laughing at this point. Die from a bite of fruit? That's ridiculous. How stupid does God think you are? He won't kill you. He created you. You're the apex of his creation. There's no sin. There's no judgment. There's no hell. People just make that up. The lie is that you can be God. And he slanders God. God's jealous of you. He wants to keep you down. He, he, he's afraid that you're going to take over and rule. So Eve takes the fruit and eats of it. And notice that she passes it right to Adam who's standing right there with her. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he we kind of pictured in our minds that he was somewhere else, and she got duped, and then she carried some to him, and then he just kind of went along with the deal, though he was getting right there too. First John 2.16 for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The same three things there. From Genesis 3 to 1 John 2, 16, good for food corresponds to the desires of the flesh. So we got the sensual. The light of the eyes corresponds to the desires of the eyes. The aesthetic desires can tempt us. Desire to make one wise corresponds to the pride of life, the intellectual. All of those are avenues that the enemy can use for temptation. And you know what? If you read Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted by Satan out in the wilderness with these same exact three things. Yet he doesn't yield to sin. They chose sin over and against the will of God in his clear command. Adam abdicated his rule as spiritual leader of the home here. Someone said, sin doubts the truth, disbelieves the warning, and disputes his wisdom. It covets his, God's prerogatives, and repudiates his authority. And the results were immediate. Their eyes were open, and they saw that they were naked. They experienced evil for the first time. I remember the first time I got to there wasn't alcohol in my family. My mom and dad didn't drink. They didn't have it in the home. But my friends uh, told me, yeah, this is something you need to do. And, and I did it. And I, I, I felt bad afterwards. I felt ashamed. I knew in my heart, like getting drunk, I was disobeying God's word. They tried to cover their shame, but they were exposed as sinners. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds 
are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. C.S. Lewis, in his brilliant song, As the Ruin Falls, just one stanza from it. All this is flashy rhetoric about loving you. I have never had a selfless thought since I was born. I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want God, you, all friends, merely to serve my church. They started living out of their minds instead of out of their spirits. They operated now by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with all its rules rather than the tree of life. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. They used to walk with God, now they hide from God. They're full of shame and fear now. But the situation isn't hopeless. There's hope, even in the James passage, there's good news. There's two more verses. Verses 17 and 18 give us two more things in how we overcome temptation. The fourth is to receive Christ. Verse 17, James talks there about every good and perfect gift that comes down from heaven. Jesus is that good and perfect gift. He's the answer to temptation and sin. He came down from heaven to earth. He was born a man, just like us. He's a, he was a human being. He understands everything we go through. says that he was tempted in every way like all of us are, yet without sin. Then Jesus died on the cross for our sins, so that God could forgive the one who puts his or her trust in Jesus. And the fifth thing is to be reborn. Be reborn. In verse 18, James talks about what translation uses the word birth. And he talks about we're of the first fruits. When you receive Christ as Savior, you're given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes then and dwells inside of you. So, as a result of that, things are going to change in your life. This is how you're going to know that you're born again and not just a religious person. That you're just adding religion onto your routine. Things change. From the inside, your thinking changes and your attitudes change because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He gives you power to overcome sin and say no to temptation. Before you're saved, all you have is willpower. And some people have a lot of willpower. Most of us not so much. We just give in. But as a believer that has the Holy Spirit inside him or her, now we have God's power working for us. So 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The scriptural way to see things, and this I think is quite wise, listen to this, is to set the Lord always before us. Put Christ in the center of our vision. And if Satan is lurking around, he will appear on the margin only and be seen as but a shadow on the edge of the brightness. It is always wrong to reverse this, to set Satan in the focus of our vision and push God out to the margin. Nothing but tragedy can come of such inversion. The best way to keep the enemy out is to keep Christ in. 
The sheep need not be terrified by the wolf. They have but to stay close to the shepherd. It is not the praying sheep Satan fears, but the presence of the shepherd. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overcome, overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What a great promise. Love that. There's always an escape route. God won't allow more on you than he puts in you. You may say, no, the temptation was just too strong. The problem was you missed the escape route. When tempting thoughts came, the Holy Spirit was saying, run over there. And you weren't listening. You're just focused on that temptation and were deceived. Florida Nelson has written a piece entitled Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. It reads, Chapter 1, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down a different street. <laughs> See, we're getting smarter. As we know how the enemy operates. Martin Luther said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, and you can't stop them from building a nest in your head. So that means I can't avoid temptation. I'm going to be tempted in this life. But I don't have to give in. I'm not a slave to sin. Let's pray. which has been bothering you for years. What is your weakness? What is your life? Where does Satan bait you? Say, Lord, you know what it is. I've got a tendency to exaggerate, be double-minded, not stand up for what I know is right, but be wishy-washy. Always worry about what other people think. Become sarcastic. And I say some hurtful things to my wife or husband. I'm insensitive to the needs of my spouse. I tend to be selfish. There is something in my life that's out of control. My time is out of control, Lord. My spending is out of control. My weight, my exercise, I just keep failing in the same area and I feel bad about it. Just confess it to him right now. Tell him what it is. If the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on something right now, just confess it to him. He knows you're free. He loves you. He's not going to condemn you. He wants to forgive you. Wipe the slate clean. He wants you to start over today. That's why he brought you here. Say this to yourself in prayer. God, I want to be realistic about this. It is a problem in my life. 
I drink too much, or whatever it is. Admit it to them. Accept responsibility. Don't blame your parents, your spouse, your boss, or anyone else. Admit there is a weakness. There would be no outside temptation if there were no inward drive that matches it. Be alert. Be ready. Lord, help me to study your words so that I'll know how the devil tries to get at me. Help me to recognize those areas of weakness and avoid them. Help me to refocus on you. To fill my mind with good things, true things, right things. Not to resist my feelings, but to replace them with what you have to say. Most of all, if you've never opened up your heart to the Lord, do it this morning. Say, Jesus Christ, I want to be reborn. I want a fresh start on life. Would you forgive all the sins I've ever committed and help me to start over today? He will. That's why he died on the cross for you. Say this to yourself. Jesus Christ, come in and be the Savior and Lord of my life. He will. Lord, you promised to make a way out of these temptations. Give me strength. Some of you need to break up a bad relationship. Some of you are flirting in the wrong areas. Say, Lord, help me quit compromising. Help me do what's right. And he will help you. If you come to him with an open and sincere heart and say, God, you know all about me. I can't fool you. Help me get victory over this temptation. Lord, I thank you today for those that prayed this prayer. Open up their heart, perhaps, to you for the very first time. But you come in and may they be born again, born in you, born from above. And Holy Spirit, please come and live inside of them. And Lord, have your way in all of us that will be more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray.